Welcome back to the Product Stories Podcast, hosted by Victor Peralnik. This podcast helps founders like yourself to find leaner ways to build successful SaaS products. We talk about product management, development, remote work, and anything else that non-technical, as well as technical founders need to know to launch and scale software products. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive exclusive write-ups with highlights, takeaways, and quick wins from the episodes straight to your inbox. Welcome to Product Stories. Today's guest is Shane White, a developer who's running multiple SaaS businesses. He'll share with us his approach to identify new niches and build a portfolio of SaaS products from scratch. Shane, welcome to the show. Hey, Victor. Thanks for having me. Yeah, 100%. Why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself as a founder and your background? It'd be super interesting to know how you got into this. Sure thing. Yeah, so I've been in the game for about eight years now. I started working on SaaS basically as soon as I got out of college. Been working on my SaaS called Memory Share for eight years now. It started off called Midwest Streams. We help funeral directors webcast their funerals. And it's obviously gotten really big here since 2020. Well, yeah, I I can I can imagine sadly, but you you founded multiple businesses, is that correct? Even even before that. Yeah, I've always kind of pictured myself as an entrepreneur. When I was a kid, I had my own lawn mowing business. Then through college, we I started a, a wedding DJ company. That was actually my first successful exit, albeit a small one, but it was uh, still was able to sell my first business there. And then along the way, I started a photography company with my friend Nick called The Match Artist. We've been doing incredibly well lately. And then my girlfriend and I started The Agent Nest, which is a SaaS for real estate agents. And then I've had my fair share of SaaSes that never even took off the ground other than those two. <laughs> don't, don't we all? We have a graveyard of those ourselves, I guess. You you already mentioned that, that you're kind of starting these with others. So one with your girlfriend, the other one with your with your best friend. Is that something that, that you normally do with, with all these businesses? Yeah, I think so. Having a good co-founder is uh, what really separates, you know, the, in my opinion, it's really tough to build a company on your own. So if ever I'm starting something, I always look for someone that can help me out. So it's it's not so hard. Are, do, you, do you look for complementary skills or is it more like, hey, I, I think I can trust this person. We're in this together. Let's run with it. What's the mix here? Because it seems these people are fairly close to you also personally. Yeah, I always, you know, trust is a big thing in companies and you got to make sure that you and your co-founder are on the same page. So I have, that's why I've always stuck with people really close in my life. That's that's awesome. And so if you didn't have a co-founder in a business, what would demotivate you mostly? Because there's a lot of solopreneurs out there who love it, who wouldn't change it for anything else. But clearly, I, I guess there's a lot of people who say, no, I, I really do need someone to run this with. Yeah, I wouldn't really say uh, demotivation is the correct word, but man, there's just so much work to be done in a startup that if you're doing it on your own, you're going to have to work twice as hard. Oh yeah, that's definitely true. So w would you say that's also why you're able to run so many of these at the same time? Yes, all of my co-founders right now are completely full-time on their one thing. And then I kind of bounce between the, the three. And uh, you're, are you the developer 
within those, or did you take on more roles? Yeah, I always start off as the developer, and then we were able to kind of um, hire that away eventually. That's that's cool. That's very good. And I mean, we've talked up front, and you you just mentioned it. You have so many niches that you're involved in: photography, funeral streaming, uh, photography. What was the third one? Real estate. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, real, real estate. estate. Um, how how do you pick your your niches? How how do you how do you do that? Or do you have any background in this? Yeah, good good question. I mean, each one there was kind of always you know, something there, like for the photography company, it was actually my friend. We had no intentions of starting this business. He just, he just took my online dating pictures and it was a complete game changer for me. So we were like, we have to make this a business. And that's kind of almost like right now, it's a really challenging time for me because running three or four companies is just not sustainable. It's not realistic. But the reason that kind of happened is because, you know, when Nick and I started the mattress, we, we never really intended it to grow this big. We were just, you know, doing some photo shoots on the weekend and then it got huge. That is super interesting. Uh, but you also said that your your funeral streaming service started with weddings. So is, is pivoting in that way at a first hunch and then developing it further pivoting is that a normal thing that happens is it more about perseverance and in trying yeah in this in the startup grind you have to have perseverance i see way too many founders they just they start something and then three months later they don't have any customers so they quit and you really have to keep i mean i wouldn't give up on something for at least a year mm-hmm mm-hmm and, and uh, along that time, you can pivot, you can do what you need to do, but you really need to be working on the same thing for at least a year to give it a fair shake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So how would you how would you go about finding a new niche today if you had to start something else today? Would you would you look for your for own your own experiences, scratch your own itch, or do you have a system that you would want to try these days? If I were to start brand new today, I would look for what I think is really interesting is I would find a niche or a market where you see all these big, big players, but they're only servicing enterprises and you can't get this tool. You can't get this thing for, for smaller businesses without the budget. So like an example, so free idea for anyone listening imagine that like we were just for memory share we were trying to implement some sort of analytic service and if you, if you google that you'll find tableau you'll find power bi you'll find all of these things that are you know four or five grand a month if not more and they're huge and they're all these things i really think there's a ton of businesses out there that are kind of the same thing where the big enterprises are being served but the smaller guys aren't. That's where I would stick today. And I guess these big solutions are also over-featured, overpowered, way too complex, ugly. If you niche down onto something small, onto a concrete target customer, provide 20% of the features for 80-20 classic, is, is that what you're saying? Yeah, and it should be easier to use because you have less features. That is exactly what I would try to do. Also one question about when you said you should you should 
to at least a year. What for you is product market fit? What would you need to, or maybe even earlier, what what needs to happen that you say, hey, I think there's something there. Let's keep let's keep going further. Product market fit. That is an interesting one. You can actually, in my opinion, you can with enough payment pounding, you can make your own product market fit which might not be the easiest solution because once you hit product market fit, that's when the magic happens. But until then, if, if you don't have that luxury, if you keep, you know, calling, trying to find a specific, you know, hundred or so people that you can laser target and make your solution work for them, I, I think that is the way to basically pound the pavement until you achieve product market fit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes, that makes sense. Um... Are you enjoying this product stories episode? Make sure to never fall behind and stay current with monthly recaps of the two previous podcast episodes by subscribing. You can get the best highlights, takeaways, and quick wins accessible at any time. To access the Go-Getters guidelines for people who like getting straight to the point, hit subscribe now. And now let's move on to MVP creation, right? You have an idea, you, 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 you analyze the market a little bit. Let's run with your enterprise software example of, of BI tools. How, how would you create an MVP? You're a developer. So obviously first thing you, you would fire up code editor. What's your, what's your stack? What do you use? Oh man, I love .NET and just started getting into Vue. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. That makes sense. Okay. That's a great stack. Would you say there is an ideal SaaS stack or is it more, Hey, I use that. I'm good at this. Or is there, is there anything you've heard from friends also, Hey, starting a SaaS business and MVP is really good on a certain tech stack. Well, Victor, we're developers here. Of course, I'm going to tell you that .NET <laughs> is the best stack and everyone who doesn't use it is a bad developer. Uh, so that is yep. the answer. But you know, you should of use course. what what's easiest for you and what's. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Otherwise, we're going to get into a flame war very quickly. <laughs> very nice. You've 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 already voiced your opinion about my tech stack on our discovery call. So I I I, I think that that's a fair opinion. Anyway, jokes aside, have you ever tried using no code? Yes, uh, love hate relationship with it. <laughs> It's, you know, if, if maybe this is your first business and you want to get something started, I think it's a great, a, a great thing. I am looking into no code solutions for the match artist, you know, just adding some cool tech stuff into a photography because, you know, the match artist is a photography company is, you know, it's, it's not a SaaS. So we can offer some really cool things that's kind of techy by doing some no code solutions, but as a SaaS owner, I mean, that's your core business is writing software. So to kind of cheap out and not go with, you know, pen to paper, writing that code is going to really bite you. And I have experience with this because we started the agent S as a no code platform. And we made it all the way up to probably about a thousand MRR before we just hit a wall. Like it just got to be too much so then my my next jump from no code was just no back end it was just front end only 
and it still is like that. And now here we are around that 8, 10k-ish, we're hitting that, okay, we really need a back end type of a wall. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but would, you, would you consider that approach again? Quickly iterate, throw it away later, but just get moving ahead while you're validating even if that effort or that feature set is what people need? For me personally, no, because I, I feel like my next idea is going to be probably well-researched before we even get to that point. But if, if I was a first-time entrepreneur, yeah, I would, I would for sure use the, the no-code platform. But even 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 the the no backend approach, where you say, okay, now we're at you know that's the no code fell apart at one k MRR, and then you know no backend is falling apart at ten k. Would you would you now still say, hey, we're we're going to build a full fully fledged backend even earlier, or was that a good decision in hindsight? Yeah, I think waiting until where we're at now on the backend was a great decision. You can get a lot of stuff done with just the front. It's called the Jamstack. I'm sure everyone knows about that here. I really, really like the Jamstack, but like I said, it kind of falls apart once you get to, you know, with a couple hundred customers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. I think this is a great, great tip. Even if you write in .NET, do you do you use any third-party services for? you know, authentication, there are a few things like that, speed up development or custom code. I keep it custom, that's easiest. No, I love I love third party tools. I love supporting others in the industry. Auth0 is my favorite authentication provider. For the agentness on that Jamstack, I guess, yeah, I believe it stands for JavaScript API markup mm-hmm. are the, the three things that bring it together. And to me, that means that the API is a third-party API that I didn't write. Like I'm, I'm purchasing that API. Right. But right. I have some people talk about, you know, hearing that they use the Jamstack, and for them, it's like, well, yeah, I'm using my own API. But but when I say the Jamstack, I'm usually talking about front end only. The APIs I use are third-party. And for that, there's some really cool stuff out there. We just started using a tool called Butter CMS at the Agent Nest mm-hmm. because they provide all the content. And we are able to get all of the content from this third-party backend and display it on our front end. Mm-hmm. 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 And then we're able to lock all of that up with Auth0. Mm-hmm. And there's also a few others that I've heard of recently that are very popular. And I, I think that would be a very nice research to do as well, because these things are definitely growing in popularity. It, but most most importantly, when you say that you, you work until the point where you can hopefully replace yourself, hire someone, you're, how, how do you do that usually? Where, where Do you hire people in-house? Do you hire people remotely? How does that work? We've done a lot of Upwork freelance hiring because that's a lot easier to get your toes wet, hire someone, you know, for a few hours. Unfortunately, Upwork, something has happened there. The the quality is just really tanked over the past year. So I'm not sh- Because of that, we've kind of went more to the traditional Indeed hiring locally, or at least in the United States. I really wish that Upwork didn't take a turn for the worse because that was working really well. Oh, the, the you should just um... definitely give us a try, but that's as a side note. But other than that, I, I do understand that the market is is pretty crazy and heated as of the past, well, 
year. The same thing that you know, increase your your streaming business has also poured a lot of cash into software development. So it's 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 definitely interesting out there. But what I also wanted to ask you is, with your initial customer development, so you have your MVP now validated a bit first. You've done some research, you built your MVP or even a prototype. How do you now bring that to the first K in MRR? Well, it depends, of course, who are targeting audiences, but you said specifically not enterprise for your product. So I assume that's not one customer. It's probably something like 10, 12, 15, something like that. How would you go about getting these these first customers? The first 10 customers. I mean, I think what we did eight years ago would still work today. You know, selling streaming services of funeral homes, we pounded the pavement. But what we did is we gave each funeral home around us something of value. So we went and filmed a promotional video for them. They're like, hey, here you go. Put this on, you know, here's this video we filmed for you. Put this on um, your website. And they really like that. Most of them still didn't buy after doing that. But some of them, some of them did. And that is how we ended up acquiring our customers. And I'd still do the same thing today. That's awesome. So I, I take that you're more of the sales-led approach over product led where where you you let your your product do everything for you the sales market we've had a great episode just released i think yesterday about product led growth which is very interesting i'm also a bit more on the sales led side being in sales myself i guess that's that's kind of of, of what you know just as with the code stack have you have you ever ever tried product led growth yeah i'm not sure it... I 100% know it would never work in our industry because, you know, when we're talking with a, a funeral home and we make the sale, it's, we don't even show them the product. We're just talking to them about how we can, you know, solve their problem of, you know, how, helping the families attend the service. If you mm-hmm. were in a competitive space where there is, you're doing like a CRM, where you're talking to people who know they want CRM, they're just not sure which CRM is right for them. I feel like you have to go with product. But if you're niched down so so intense that there's not a lot of customers and you're you're more your conversations you're having are geared more on why should I do this versus why should I use you over a competitor, you have to focus on sales. This is a very interesting point. I like it because. It- what, what's super interesting is you're selling the product without even showing it, which for most SaaS people, you know, book a demo, here's every single button that we have. That's that's kind of, you know, just when you, when you love your SaaS too much, right? It's like, this is my baby, my product. It has to sell itself. It's so amazing. But you sometimes even forget that there's a need that people want to solve. If you if you just I don't want to say that promising that you solve it is is always going to be enough to close a deal, but that's what it is about the value proposition about about the actual need behind about the aspirin versus vitamin. What is this product? If you have uh, meaning, a vitamin is is something that that enhances something, but people might not be interested to buy at all because it's not top of mind. Versus aspirin is for an actual pain they have right now and they need to solve right now and is that you you can get people way more interested so that i i I really like that that thinking to get back down on earth and 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 ask yourself what does the customer want 
Yeah, I think that was one of my biggest mistakes early on is I just, I followed everyone in the SaaS community. I, I loved, I got really deep in, but you have to, you have to realize that not all SaaSes are the same. Yeah, like you can't, you can't listen to what someone else is doing and copy it. And we tried so hard. We, we did kind of the product thing. And once we kind of broaden and be like, okay, we're going to run this thing like a business, not like a SaaS, it really changed everything for us because it, I'm not thinking about churn and of course, of course, yeah, that's a horrible thing. Of course, we're thinking about that, but we're coming at it from a mindset of how can we serve our customers? How can we get more customers? And I'm not pinning myself into all of the same SaaS tactics that everyone else is using. I'm just getting more inspiration from other businesses that are either in the same industry as us and serving the same type of customers as us. I, I think that's very smart. I think that's smart. Not building a SaaS for SaaS sake, but you know, you, you're serving customers, you're solving their problem the best way possible. Love it. On that note, how can people learn more about your businesses and yourself? Where, where can they find you? I'm pretty active on Indie Hackers. If you go to Indie Hackers and search for Shane from Fargo, that's probably the best place. Otherwise, you can check out each uh, website, thematchars.com, memoryshare.com, and theagentnest.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Victor. I appreciate the invite. This show is brought to you by TrustShoring your friendly concierge to find reliable and tested software developers from Eastern Europe. We recruit full-time developers, match you to an experienced software house that's ideal for your requirements, or recommend a reliable freelancer for smaller projects. But most importantly, you benefit from our experience of developing software remotely for almost 10 years. We give you one-on-one -on -one guidance all the way so you're never lost. Stop the tedious hiring or vetting process and get matched to reliable talent. Sign up for a free consulting call with one of our experts today. Go to TrustShoring.com.